Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, less than three months to the election and a battleground is being prepared for what will surely be one of the biggest issues of the campaign, tax. The talk is, according to National's Nicola Willis yesterday, that Labour want to take GST off fruit and vegetables so as to reduce the price of food. Willis, remember, has formed. She said that the Labour Party at large was very keen on the idea of a wealth tax. That turned out to be correct except that the leader, the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, didn't like it, so he ruled it out. Now, this idea of no GST on fresh fruit and veggies sounds great in principle, except that it can become very complicated very quickly. And in any event, how much of a weekly grocery bill, especially among lower-income earners, is actually spent in the fresh produce section anyway? The great thing about our GST system is its glorious simplicity, which is why it's so widely admired all over the world. Surely the better idea would be to find a way to reduce the percentage of GST on everything. If we could get it back to 10% the way it used to be, then that would surely be an electoral winner. Now, the GST take each year is, what, $25 billion approximately, just a little less, Reduce that by a third, and you have to find another $8 billion. Or maybe you could save $8 billion by reducing wasteful spending. And God knows there's enough of that. So Labour looks like it wants to fiddle with GST, while the Maori Party just wants to socialise the country. I mean, the hell with working for a living to improve yourself. No, we'll just work to help those who can't help themselves. Tax empty houses, tax undeveloped land, except Maori land, of course. Tax foreign investment, tax companies more, tax the high income earners, give more money to the unemployed, give everybody $30,000 of untaxed income. I mean, these people are nuts, aren't they? They just expect that money will be conjured up out of thin air. They expect that if you tax the bejesus out of people like Rod Drury at Zero and Rod Duke at Briscoe's and Bruce Plested at Main Freight and their companies, then they will continue to invest and grow their companies here. I mean, these people, the Maori Party, seem to think that risk takers and entrepreneurs are evil and they should be discouraged. Yet some people support Te Party Maori and some media purport to take them seriously. I mean, frankly, the Māori Party tax policy is laughable. But if they're in the frame after the 14th of October, I reckon there'll be hundreds of thousands of us crying and looking for another place to live. Now, the Kiri Allen car crash on Sunday night. You won't have, you won't have heard about this elsewhere, uh, but it just continues a pattern of appalling yet unreported driving behaviour by cabinet ministers in recent years. Get this. Answers to parliamentary questions reveal that in the three years inclusive between 2020 and 2022, there were 22 accidents involving self-drive ministerial cars. Think about that. 22 accidents in three years from a cohort 
of just over 20 people. That's an average of seven accidents a year or one every two months. Now, have you ever been in a workplace where your colleagues were involved in a car crash in a company car once every two months? Of the 22 accidents, 20 were where the minister was driving the car and on 15 occasions, the driver was deemed to be at fault. So VIP Transport, which is taxpayer funded and which runs the ministerial self-drive cars, paid out $15,000 in insurance excess. In other words, $1,000 a crash. And here's the rub. On one of those occasions in 2021, there was an accident involving a self-drive car allocated to Kerry Allen. Isn't it about time the Prime Minister came clean about her accident on Sunday night? And while he's at it, he could perhaps explain why his ministers are so useless at driving. Now, we have heard subsequently that police had to get the dog unit out to find Kerry Allen because she left the scene of the accident in Evans Bay Parade on Sunday night. Not a great look, although I guess inconsequential now because her political career is all over forever. Oh, and by the way, Kerry Allen's personal VIP chauffeur in her East Coast electorate, presumably in Fakatani, threatened to quit his job because she kept making last-minute changes to the arrangements or not being there at the time of the arranged pickup. So all in all, a combination of arrogance, lack of self-discipline, and poor personal time management. And this is on top of the shouting at staff and of having had a car crash in a ministerial self-drive car before last Sunday night. Never really fit to be a minister of the crown, I would have thought. But um, maybe it's time for the cabinet manual now to include some driving instruction too. 22 crashes in three years for cabinet ministers' self-drive cars. Unbelievable. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You know, the arrogance of some people when they're let loose with a government credit card apparently knows no bounds. Uh, That's the only conclusion to be drawn from the departure of this guy, Donovan Clark, a one-time police officer who moved into various executive and board positions in the health and education sectors about 10 years ago. He was, until quite recently, the chief executive of something called Toitu Te Waiora, or TTW, a workforce development Council, one of six of these WDCs doing exactly, well, we don't know. Uh, He was appointed to this job in October of 2021. He was placed, though, on fully paid discretionary leave in December last year after the New Zealand Herald started asking questions about his credit card spending. That credit card bill was in excess of $70,000 in 11 months, which takes Quite a lot of effort, I would have thought. A lot of money in 11 months on one credit card. More than double the combined total of credit card spending of the other five WDC chief executives. So Donovan Clark worked there for 14 months. Then he was put on leave and he was eventually forced to resign with a payout. But the bill for the resolution of the employment dispute was nearly $450,000, including a payout to this guy, Donovan Clark, who, as I say, worked there for only 14 months. 
And there were three other employment matters settled with a payout in the first year of the organisation's existence when he was the chief executive. I mean, this outfit TTW is just another example of the disaster that is the tertiary education sector and the shambles it's become under this government. You know all about Te Pukenga, don't you? Remember the cost blowouts there for this mega polytech? Not to mention the employment dispute with the former chief executive Stephen Town, which cost $200,000 in redundancy after he was uh, put on paid leave for six months after he did the job for barely 18 months. I mean, it just never stops. Then there's the universities, a long way down the world rankings, and most of them are losing millions each year, not to mention their falling roles. Oh, well, eh? Tertiary education, just another job for a new government to try and fix after the 14th of October. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Uh, My rates bill came in the mail this week. It's our first for the new financial year. Now, compared to some people, I will confess, our rates bill is pretty modest. Compared to where we used to live in Wanaka and before that in Mount Maunganui, our rates are a positive steal. But then we do live in the country now and essentially we get no council services anyway, apart from a dirt road, which hardly ever has a grader on it. We don't get our rubbish collected. We aren't on a council water supply. But when the notice arrived, I saw that the rates had gone up 21%. I checked the public announcements about the rates rise in our local authority. The Central Otago Council said that rates were going up on average 11% this year, but ours went up 21%. How so? Well, I suspect it's because the property also had a revaluation during the year. It's still the same property, but council now say it's worth more. That means they can charge more for the non-existent services they don't provide. Anyway, the council very helpfully provide a breakdown of where our rates money goes. Some of it's a rort, and it's explained in such a general way the money, frankly, could be going anywhere. There's $521 for planning and environment which funds the planning, regulatory and community development activity. Thought you'd like to know that. Yet we are currently applying for a resource consent for a building on our property, and that's costing us $600 for the service. How about the waste management charge? $107.86 a quarter, and we don't get rubbish collected. I have to take our wheelie bin to the transfer station myself at a cost of $8 a time, although recycling is free. Well, it's not really. It's $107.86 every three months. And then there's $323.18 for works and public toilets. Really? How much do they cost to maintain and clean over a year? What I'm saying is that there's a lot of money going to areas where the value of the spend is questionable. We have no option but to pay the rates, but surely there has to be a better way to fund local government than this. Annual double-figure rates rises are just unsustainable, not just where I live, but everywhere. Surely it's time councils adopt a wider-reaching user-pay system. Pay for your library use, pay for your public toilet use, pay for your rubbish dumping. Then maybe we'll find out how much we really use council services. 
Look, I accept that some council services, like parks and green spaces, have to be socialised. But you cannot keep having rates rises in excess of 10% a year on an ongoing basis. And as for 21%, absolutely unacceptable. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, three years ago, the government brought in a national policy statement on freshwater, or NPSFW. Now, for most people, this is eyes glazing over stuff. But the standards set by the wide-eyed environmental zealots of the Wellington bureaucracy determined that all waterways in the country should have a nitrate concentration of 2.4 micrograms of nitrate per litre. Now, that was a significant reduction on many regional council limits. For instance, the Canterbury number was 6.9 micrograms, and that is well below the World Health Organization limit of 11.3 micrograms of nitrate per litre, which is deemed healthy. Just why this NPSFW in New Zealand is so low is hard to fathom when water unaffected by human activity is flowing from Dockland on the west coast, for instance, already at 3.2 micrograms, in other words, over the new limit. But this low number means that virtually all waterways in the country are currently non-compliant. Even worse, there's been a reordering of priorities around freshwater when it comes to consenting for its use. Now, previously, drinking water and economic activity were given equal consideration alongside this concept of te mana o te wai, which, as you should know by now, means the health of the water. Now, te mana o te wai is given the highest priority over the use of water, over and above drinking and over and above economic activity, which means that if your water quality is not at 2.4 micrograms per litre of nitrate concentration, 2.4 micrograms or below, and you want to use it for drinking or some economic activity like irrigation, then you won't pass the Tamana OTY test, which means no consent. So Mid-Canterbury Federated Farmers President David Clark has highlighted how this legislation is holding back economic growth. There's a property in North Canterbury. It wants to put a two-bedroom dwelling on it, presumably for staff quarters on a farm, but it needs a septic tank. But to get that septic tank for wastewater services, it has to have an expensive publicly notified hearing. This for a septic tank in the country. I mean, the NPSFW and Timana Otawai will become nooses around the neck of agricultural and therefore economic development in this country. The question is, is a new government prepared to set more realistic nitrate levels for our fresh water? Gee, I hope so. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
Now, about 30 years ago, I was for some reason talking to the then Minister of Police, John Banks. He later became the Mayor of Auckland, of course. He told me very proudly that he'd spent the previous night sitting in the back of a police patrol car watching Wellington Police at work. I thought, gee, that's a great idea. A politician who sets police policy actually seeing up close real police at work. So when I heard that Shane Retty is the National Party spokesman on health and still a practising and a registered GP, was riding with paramedics in ambulances around various parts of the country, I thought, again, that's a great idea. If you could be the next Minister of Health, what could possibly be wrong about a practising GP riding in an ambulance as an observer and occasionally there to assist the paramedics? But apparently Health New Zealand, Te Fatu Order, don't like the idea because it might infringe patients' privacy and consent rights. I mean, good God, have you heard of anything so stupid and arrogant? Yes, Shane Retty is a politician, but he's a different kind of politician in that he still works part-time in his profession. But for him to be able to observe close up the work of ambulances and emergency departments in hospitals is surely the kind of education a potentially incoming health minister needs. Shane Retty, according to a story about him in the latest Lister, has always been an evidence and data kind of guy. He once traversed Northland to personally gather health statistics, including paying a visit to a gang house in Morewa and asked if the residents took narcotics. Uh, which was like asking if the sun rises in the east. Uh, But he's quoted in the story saying that if he can't win an argument with reasoning and evidence, then he's in the wrong job. I just cannot fathom why Health New Zealand, Te Whatawara, would be upset about what Shane Retty did, about him riding in these ambulances. Maybe they were just embarrassed about what he would find out. We cannot let a Friday afternoon go by without some mention of the weekend's big sports events. The Warriors have a bye, so the All Blacks, for a start, can garner all the attention. Until Sunday night, that is, when the football ferns have their decider. Uh, But first up, a match at one of the world's great sporting arenas, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Gee, it's going to be an occasion to savour tomorrow night. It's a long time since the All Blacks were there, something like 16 years. But in days gone by, they were extraordinary to watch because of the vastness of the place. Frankly, it will be a major, major surprise if the All Blacks don't win against the Wallabies. They've whipped uh, Argentina and then especially South Africa. Australia has lost to both in recent weeks. I don't think Sam Kane's absence will make that much of a difference to the All Blacks. And Australia has this new combination in the vital positions of halfback and first 5 eighth, which is frankly a sign of desperation from the new coach. It's a sign that Eddie Jones is really just lacking the horsepower, lacking the talent that Ian Foster has available to him as coach of the All Blacks. It's been over 20 years since the All Blacks did not hold the Bledisloe Cup. I can't see that changing tomorrow night. Then there is the football in Dunedin. Well, it was a big disappointment on Tuesday to have the football ferns lose to the Philippines. But we know what they have to do on Sunday night in Dunedin to make sure they progress to the next stage, and that is to win. It's very simple. I'd like to think they can somehow recapture the brilliance they showed against Norway in the first match. They have the skill. They've showed that. Big question is, do they have the composure and the mental skills to find all that again? And frankly, they could do with a lot more luck as well, like not hitting the post and not being just millimetres offside. 
To be honest, I'm not overly optimistic about a good outcome for the New Zealand team in Dunedin on Sunday night, but I just hope that I am wrong. Thank you for your company this afternoon. Do enjoy your weekend. If you'd like to be in touch, you can get me through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.